six years old, my father took me with him to the department store to buy some Christmas presents. I saw this one pair of red pumps with a four-inch heel. I swear to God, I had never seen anything quite so beautiful in my entire life. When no one was looking, I took one, snuck it home, hidden underneath my coat. <laughs> when we got to the apartment, I tried running straight to my room. I slipped out and fell onto the floor right in front of my mother and my father. I begged them to let me keep it. My father's... My father slapped me across the face. <sighs> For stealing. But more so for what I chose to steal. I mean, what kind of little boy cries over a patent leather red pump, right? He's treating me differently. This is the third installment of the House of Poser, and can I, may I, will I say, God damn, I, um, I'm not crying, you're crying, no, <laughs> so in this episode, episode three, we, again, I don't even understand the timeline of this, I, I mean, I get it, but then I don't, I, I, I don't know, either way, it's Christmas time, <laughs> so, um, uh, Episode 3 is, entitled, is titled Giving and Receiving. The House of Evangelista celebrates the holidays and prepares for the snowball in spite of Angel's lack of holiday spirit. Electra contemplates undergoing an affirming medical procedure. Right. So I'm honest, I'm this I'm I'm I don't know. I think I'm going to go over the highlights for this uh this episode. So in this third episode we uh open up on christmas and it's giving a very uh christmas of uh, the christmas episode of a show of a sitcom of a movie <laughs> and they're doing a damn good job as usual cinematography editing wardrobe music everything screams 80s the thing that i like about this episode with it being a christmas episode i'm not sure if episode four will be like a new year's eve or a new year's but Either way, we know we began this show in 1987, so we will be moving on to 1988 pretty soon here, I'm sure. Like, I don't see how you can cram the rest of the season into, uh, what, two days worth of, of the year. <laughs> okay, so we get, uh, and again, this goes back to what I said before, having this be this beautiful um, family, this uh, non-traditional family. We have Blanca. We have Damon, Lil Poppy, uh, and Angel in the house decorating the tree. Blanca's like, look, you motherfuckers need to uh, respect my authority. No, she's like, you need to, you know, uh, think of one thing that you want, a gift that you want from me, by whatever. And I like Lil Poppy. I'm so mad that we're not getting more of him. He is, I don't know, I, he's one of the characters that is... 
he's part of the LGBTQ community and he's not, and I keep saying this, I feel like a broken record. He's not a stereotype. Now, everyone else is fully fleshed out and has agency and whatnot, and that's cool. But seeing Lil Poppy in this space, now, they could fuck us all up and then get a couple episodes down the line and then have it come out that Lil Poppy is not queer in the least bit. (laughs) That could fuck us up. But I just, I like him as Lil Comic Relief-ish. This, but Angel opens up. Okay, well, we'll actually start off with Damon opening up about his childhood and you know being with his family and Christmas being such an amazing time. And it's clear that Angel is affected by something like she's not her normal self. And she tells this story. And this show, God, okay, I will admit to y'all, I had a tear in my eye. I wasn't boohooing, I wasn't crying, it wasn't streams down my face. But this episode pulled at the fucking heartstrings. Angel told a story about her being a little six-year-old boy wanting a pair of red heels. How in the hell do you make that emotional? I mean, I get it, but the delivery, again, with the cinematography, the score, the the acting, this was such a heartfelt moment. It's like, oh, God. (laughs) Good fucking job, team, over there at Pose FX. Kudos to y'all. Keep it going. Uh, but the story was so heartbreaking that, like, I kind of figured what would happen towards the end, and we'll, you know, we'll get there. But I, even with me predicting what was going to happen and predicting correctly, it still it, it didn't make it any less impactful. I was, I was, I just knew this, y'all. This episode got to me. And I'm not really big about holidays at all, especially least of all Christmas. Like I really could care less one way or the other. But this show did a really good job at again feeling like a movie, feeling like a full production every week, every Sunday. And they did it. And just looking at Blanca responding or not necessarily responding, but like taking in all this information that her kids are giving her. I like that we keep beating you over the head with the fact that this is a family. These are Blanca's kids. She takes care of them. There's rules in her house. Like it's, oh my God. And it all comes to a head a little later in the series. One thing that I was concerned about is, um, I mean, we find out that Steve, I believe his name is Steve, has gotten Angel uh, an apartment. We found that out last episode, but we actually see him bringing her to the apartment. And I was thinking, and I don't know why I was thinking this, but I was like, okay, Angel is going to be, uppity and stuck up because now she has her own place and she doesn't need Blanca and such and such. I'm like, I I guess I'm projecting my own like uh, preconceived notions about who these people are and then also like things that I've seen in the media growing up and kind of putting that on onto these characters. And if me, if I'm going to do that, who's to say that other people aren't doing the same thing? So it's really good that this show is kind of breaking down um, I don't want to say breaking down barriers, but I'll say that for lack of a better term. Uh, because we get that, no, they're cool. They're all peers, though Blanca is the mother. They are essentially peers, and Blanca gives them freedom to do what the hell they're going to do, but within reason. And I just, I love that. Um, there is no, and, and it's, oh God, another part of the show is everything isn't spelled out beat by beat. Like, the angel seeing Steve or Steven, whatever the man name is, I don't 
think, and correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, I don't think that that Angel and Blanca had a conversation about Angel and Steve. But there was a scene in this episode where she was like, oh, you said about your little white boy, you married white man or something. I'm just like, yeah, it's like they're filling in the blanks. Like this show is trusting you to receive information and just go with it. And it isn't random like Blanca now has 14 extra inches of hair and is, you know, 300 extra pounds. And it's like, oh, yeah, I just gained weight since last episode. I'll just go with it. Like they're giving you... Um, they're giving you, I don't know how to describe this shit. Y'all get what I'm saying, goddammit. They're giving you pieces of the story, but they're giving it to you. Oh, I'll say it like this. The way this show is presented, it feels as if these are actual people living their actual lives. And the time that we sit down in front of the screen to watch them for an hour and 13 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes, hour and a half, is them actually living their lives. So, if... If I'm making sense, if I am or if I ain't, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter, Carefree Blurred. You listen to hashtag PoserPod. But I feel as if their lives are continuing on after the credits roll. And so when we're sitting down watching, like a lot of the things that uh, that we see, they've already discussed. <laughs> okay, okay. I hope I'm making sense. If I'm not, tweet me and let me know. Uh, so we move forward to a ball. Thank God. You, y'all know how I love the balls on this goddamn show. So we get to a ball, and this time we get men. We get males walking. We get the butch queens. We get the cis males. And that is like, it, it's it's jarring because it's it's new. It's not something we've gotten so far. And they are doing just as much as, uh, and I think it was like, bring it in fur, bring it in, damn, I forget the category. But these niggas had to have a mink coat on. And they are fucking selling it. You're getting their tens. Uh, I think one guy got like a six and a seven and then rest nines or whatever. But this is important because this scene has Damon and Ricky together. Kissing, loved up on each other. And uh, the thing is, <laughs> Damon said, if you want to be part of the house of Evangelista, you have to walk a ball. And it's such a, oh God, it, it makes... I don't know. This is just such a, an amazing scene. Like seeing this affection, one, between men of color, black men, loving on each other and not even in the romantic sense, just being affectionate with one another. That's a big thing. But then two, on the same side of the coin or whatever, you have a queer relationship that is being uh, um, uh, f- focused on. And it's not, again, a butt of a joke. It's not a comic relief. It's not the token gay friend. This is a genuine fucking relationship and again i have to repeat this like i said on the last episode when ricky and damon got together initially their story still feels like it could be anyone's story you can take damon and switch him out for a white woman with blonde hair you can switch out ricky for some tall quote-unquote dark and handsome guy and it could be the same story i mean of course tweaked a bit to fit whatever narrative but this is like i love i I love (laughs) I love this show. So Ricky goes out not as confident, but he puts these shades on, these stunning shades with this polka dot mink, and this motherfucker killed it. It's just, it, it was so good. <laughs> I loved it. And he got a uh, first runner up, <clears throat> which I guess that was, you know, good enough because he did place or he did win a trophy. That was good enough to get into the house. So, or to at least have him, um, 
um, on the radar to be able to, to to get into the house. And seeing that scene with him with his trophy in his hand, spotlight on him, he look up at uh, Damon and Damon do the the Wakanda forever. <laughs> so it's just ah, it was just so nice. Um, moving forward, we get Praytale because Praytale is the commentator at all these balls. Uh, yelling, not yelling out, but speaking out into the crowd after the ball is over, like, yeah, you niggas want your trophies, cool, but uh, house mothers and fathers, let y'all kids know the snowball is the biggest ball and such and such. Now, with me watching and reviewing Viceland's My House, when Praytale brought up the snowball, because I'm not plugged into the ballroom scene or community, I got my feet in a little bit, but not a, not a I'm not immersed in it. When he said the snowball, the first thing that came to mind was episode one of Viceland's My House when it was the coldest winter ever ball, which was in New York. And uh, so I'm going to ask around, or better yet, listeners, anyone listening under the sound of my voice, is the snowball just a stand-in for the coldest winter ever ball? How old is the coldest winter ever ball? Is it something that's new within the last 10, 15 years? Or was it around way back in the 80s? Um, I'm learning if you go and listen to the most recent episode of My House is Burning, which is episode 8 DMSR, where I had the special guest Jasmine 007, formerly Jasmine Miss Rai, and we talked about the episode, but she also, you know, schooled me on a bit of ballroom history, a bit of ballroom culture, and, you know, like definitions of things, legend statement star, um, history of, uh, of the Ebony's and such. So go and listen to that. But in that episode, we discussed, you know, knowing your history. I'm not 100% familiar with, probably, I'm probably not even 3% familiar <laughs> with a lot of ballroom culture, but I'm trying, and ballroom history. So I'm trying to kind of get my foot in there. And so when I see things on this show, Pose on FX, and then I see kind of parallels to things that are on Viceland's My House, it, you know, gets me to thinking like, is this um, an accident, a happy accident? Is this coincidence? Is this something that stems from this thing? So, you know, anyone out there, again, under the sound of my voice who's watching both shows, watching one or the other, has a bit of history for me, tweet me and let me know. Let's make this a a full-blown conversation. <laughs> okay, so getting back to the show, we get Blanca and Damon at the diner with Ricky, and uh, <laughs> Ricky's wearing his first. She's like, okay, you know, you did good, blah, blah, whatever. Damon's like, oh, I was just hoping that he could, you know, join the house. And she's like, nigga, this ain't no halfway house. Motherfucker, you got to work. There's rules in my house, such and such and such. where you get that damn jacket? He was like, yeah, it was my grandmother's. I don't look like no fool. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you get that jacket? You mopped it? And I, I love hearing everyone say mopped it. Even with that, I didn't know what the fuck mopped was. I found out through watching the show, looking it up, and then seeing some of the um, the uh, uh, marketing pieces for Pose. But I didn't know what, what, what mopping was. I use that now. <laughs> and people at work, like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> uh, but, um... But yeah, again, this is another scene where we get this affection between these two black men, which I just, I fucking love. And again, it's handled with care. Again, I repeat, when you give properties to people of color, minorities, uh, 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 marginalized communities, people who represent the characters that you're creating, you get a fully fleshed out story. You get something that's better than if it was just whitewashed. Like this, 
this is good. This felt comfortable to me. It didn't feel like pandering. It didn't feel like, well, Tom and Bill are both gay. We're just going to smash them together and see what comes out from it. You know, they're gay. That should be enough. No, this was a really good story. They're young, stupid kids. And I say stupid, not because they're literally stupid, but you know, you say kids are just young and dumb and in love. That's, that's, uh, probably problematic so i should retract that statement but a term nonetheless that you hear when referencing children when you're referencing kids when it's always puppy love or your first crush is this and that your first heartbreak it's like it's it's that's what they are and i love it um you see the things that they do for one another though it's it's um the things are are minor or smaller but again they're not fully grown adults with you know disposable income and history of dating behind them they're too kids figuring it out and i love it so blanca um you know accepts him into the house on a trial basis there's no stealing and uh you know just follow the house rules and that was a very sweet scene and it feels like a very christmas episode but at the same time like i said before it also feels as if these people's lives have been going on and i just happened to sit down in some magic mirror and now i'm looking at them for this hour and 23 minutes like oh man so we move on to uh pray tell walking into an elevator and behind him as the elevator doors close runs a beautiful black woman who happens to be the dance instructor at the whatever school that damon is attending now for whatever reason <laughs> when i saw this scene okay i'll set it up again pray tell walks into an elevator he has a very solemn look on his face it's just a regular elevator. You can't really tell where he is. Before the elevator door closes, this woman comes in, puts her hand in, and steps in after him. I assumed that Praytel was married to some woman, and this is the place that they shared together. And then after seeing them in the elevator and realizing who she was, I was like, man, maybe that's his sister, such and such. Then when I realized they were in the hospital, I said, oh, maybe he has AIDS and she has AIDS. It was just like my mind was jumping through all these hoops to make sense of what I was seeing. Uh, because we happen to get, and kudos to the creative team over there, we got two characters together who you probably wouldn't ever see together. Um, when you're watching shows or like reading, for me, reading comic books, and you get those characters who are, or even like a reality TV show, anything, watching any show, and you see like there's the main cast, and then there might be the supporting characters, and then there's like the friend that might pop up here and there, but not consistently sometimes and this is just me i'm sure other people's think people's other people think the same way but you think like oh i wonder if you know if the friend that pops in ever so often if him and one of the supporting castmates will ever be in the scene together well they probably wouldn't have a reason to because it's just that's just not what it is on this episode we got pray Tell and helena that's her name together but in a very interesting what oh my it's just I can describe the scene all day long, but I think it's a very heavy scene that you just need to watch yourself. I'll take a stab at it though. Again, they come out of the elevator. Pretiel walks up to the nurse's station, signs his name, smiles at the nurse, signs his name, walks to the left. Helena walks up right behind him, signs her name, walks to the right. We catch up with Pretiel walking down this hallway. Now, for me, 
I've been to the hospital before. It is 2018 at the time of this recording. I've seen inside of hospitals. You know, I had my, my mother was in the hospital uh, quite a few times, you know, over the past couple of years. And I've, I've visited friends and family and whatnot. I, walking down the hall, all you saw was blood. And when I say blood, like on the, the hospital bed that that's like just out in the hallway, you know, dried up blood, or then the, the sheets that are on the floor in the hall, it's not like a murder scene. It's just you, you're seeing blood. Now, this show, it's moments like this that kind of pull me out of the show, not in a bad way, but it pulls me out of the show and then puts me back in because I'll watch something like The Ball or this wonderful interaction between family. And though this is essentially a period piece and people are wearing clothes of the times and you're hearing the music of the times and whatever else, it's still a fun, entertaining show. So when you get something like this that is so heavy and that is so reminiscent of its time, it's jarring. Because now um, it's it's clear and it's never explicitly said in either scene. Because you have a scene with Praetail and his, uh, I think, current lover. And then you have a scene with Helena and her son, or who I thought was her son. And it's clear that both of these characters both have AIDS. But, again, it's 2018. It's not 1987. So the treatment for AIDS and HIV-related you know, complications it's very different now than what it was back then. So, again, this scene is something that pulled me, instantly pulled me out of the, the show because my, my feelings were, like, I could tell how heavy the scene was and it really fucked with me, but then it put me right back in because it reminded me this isn't 2018 that you're watching. You're watching 1987. Like, this is what, this is the time period in which you're watching. So, um, I think the treatment of of um of AIDS and HIV in this show is uh is really kind of spot on because you can go into I'm sure any number of hospitals now and just it, not even hospitals go to like um I would imagine like um like urgent care centers or free clinics or wherever they do like STD like testing and stuff look at like those facilities now and then look at this scene in post and it's just it's like night and day. Like what? And it's just it was it was such a heavy scene. So this is one of those um, scenes that made me say in the beginning, "I'm not crying, you're crying," because Praetel walks up to the room, and then we just see the back of him, and then we go back to Helena, who's still walking down the hall as well, and she looks into the room, and then it's the same. We just see her reaction. And there's a young man dancing who I instantly assumed was her son, which I'm sure was deliberate. Uh, we later find out he is not her son. He is, uh, he has AIDS. And he, I don't know, and see, I don't, I'm educated, but not, I probably have to do a bit more digging. But he's in his hospital gown which has the ass out as you do in a hospital and he's very thin uh his eyes are glossed over so they look almost like a blind person's eyes how there's that kind of sheen over them he is dancing you know in in a very uh childlike way maybe a child mimicking ballet um and he's speaking in a way that suggests he is either dealing 
I don't want to say dealing with mental illness because that's not he's 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 speaking in a way that makes it seem as if he's not completely there like he's maybe not in his right mind and he pushes Helena like he's and he yells he's like get off of me and rips the IV out of his arm and they focus on the blood which another thing is like it, it's clear signifying that you know clearly he has AIDS and the way that people are treating him the nurses because it's like their, their gowns are filthy uh uh Praytale's boyfriend, he goes to the room and he has to pick up his tray of food because the nurses aren't even bringing the food into him. And a, a lot of people may, well, people may not know, and then I'm sure there's a section of us who do know and understand what these small things signify, which is that, you know, you, it's, it's, uh, people are afraid. You're afraid of people with AIDS. You're afraid that you can catch it from them coughing on you. You're afraid that you can catch it from, you know, eating after them or something like that. That's silly, but, you know, it's a sign of the times again. And seeing Helena care for this young man and seeing Praetel climb into bed with his lover, which I can't pinpoint where I know this is Latino guy from. Uh, but it's just oh, such a heavy scene. Both of these scenes, you know, or this one scene or whatever working in tandem really had me, you know, close to the edge. Now, I never went to the point of like just bawling out crying but i was just like ooh, ooh. but i just I, I i ran with it now normally if i'm watching something like this is us or something sad i'm like you know fuck this shit you ain't gonna get me to cry but with this i was like you know fuck it if i got tears from watching this episode then i'm just gonna fucking have tears um so <laughs> so we move on and we get pray tell uh putting together an outfit for blanca which is this uh mrs santa thing with these big ass shoulder pads and well, it's a good looking piece um i didn't mention before but with the snowball from the scene before blanca and the kids decided that they were going to walk as a house and damon decided that the kids would be santa's little helpers and blanca would be mrs claus and this is a badass like sequin glitter no not sequence it's glitter yeah glitter you know, like a glittery 80s looking uh fabric with it's just is it's nice it's like uh, Mrs. Claus with some high fashion or something. And so they're talking. And, <clears throat> excuse me, when I saw Pratio in the hospital, I assumed him and this man had been together for, you know, years. And that this was kind of the, like the back. You know how you'll watch a show and you'll get so much of one character and their friend is there. But then you might watch another episode and then we kind of get the backstory of the friend. I thought this was one of those episodes or one of those shows where, we know Blanca's diagnosis, and we see how Praetel, uh reacted to her diagnosis. So now we get kind of his background where his partner has, uh, is positive, and then, you know, they've been together all this time, and then that's why he's so strong because he's dealt with it. No, he only been with this motherfucker for a week. She was like, yeah, I just saw you and so-and-so dancing, you know, a week ago. And that is one of those other things that's kind of subtle, but it's, again, speaking to the sign of the times. This is 1987, dealing with AIDS, dealing with HIV, dealing with symptoms and and, um, and how quickly things, or how things how things can seem to be quick. What am I saying? <laughs> how things escalate as so quickly. Yeah, we'll go with that. And uh, Pratel, it's... 
he was kind of treating Blanca with kid gloves. And she said, you know, please, you know how many people, how many times I've talked about this with other people since I've been diagnosed. Like, I'm not a child. Talk to me. What's going on? And he's crying. He's like, you know, how in the fuck are we supposed to get invested in someone if they'll be gone within a week? Which that line speaks to so many, like, different experiences like yes we are dealing in the now now being 1987 with the you know with the aids and with dealing with dating people and not knowing if someone has it and them looking a certain way uh quote unquote healthy one day and then looking very different within the week but then you're also speaking to just dating in general and i it seems as if that line was specifically for you know the virus and dealing with it with dating back in the 80s but art is up for interpretation. And when he said that it like it rang true for so many different instances, like how can you get so close to someone when it's even now translating it to 2018, how do you get so close to someone um, who, when you have so many different ways to meet other people and to be distracted by other things, by these shiny things, by these likes and these thirst traps and these, you know, um, location-based dating services. And it's just all these different things. And it's like to get invested in someone and then a week later they'd be gone. You know, it's just, I don't know. It was, it was, it was heavy. It was heavy. This was a very heavy and emotional episode. (laughs) So we also get angel and this i feel very conflicted with angel because i am one who supports um non-traditional uh partnerships relationships experiences now angel is i guess dating steve or stan whatever this man's name is the white guy and there he has he got in the apartment and he decked it out and looks nice and you know she's having this real emotional romantic moment with him <clears throat> they end up having sex but what she says to him and this is prior to any any sex he says you know promise me one thing i know you have your family i know you have your kids and your wife but please come and see me on christmas eve even if it's just to have some eggnog no even if it's just for an hour even if it's just to have some eggnog come and see me and he says you know yeah i'll do that and though you understand that this man is married and this is, for all intents and purposes, this is an affair that he's having. Re- having this emotional connection to Angel makes this so hard to watch. Because from the beginning, we know that this will not end well. Now, it might end well for Angel and Stan being together, or it might end well for, for Stan and his wife, or whatever. But somebody in this situation is going to come out with the short end of the stick, emotionally, financially, or something. And... I am rooting for Angel because she's the girl of color. She's the the one of the stars of the show. She's the one who I am empathizing most with because I give a damn about Patty or Peggy, whatever the fuck she got going on. But still, at the end of the day, this man is married. And Angel just, I don't know if she can win in this situation. And I don't, I don't know what her end game is, but I'm just thinking of how many ways this can go left and... Protecting Angel at all costs, because God damn it, this fucking stand with his, I don't know, a love, affection, whatever for her, 
But then he's also conflicted, and this not to make excuses for him because he is a married man, but you see, like, the inner struggle that he's going through within dealing with Angel and then also dealing, you know, with his wife and then his mother-in-law and then, you know, stresses from shit at work. It's just, man, it is just this big hodgepodge of a bunch of bullshit, but it's, like, it's so good. Um, I do like this sex scene. I like it's very ta- it's tastefully done, and um, it's not making this. Sub- it wasn't this weird thing where he was like, "Oh, your anatomy's different." You know, it wasn't like again, it wasn't. It was handled with care, like it wasn't some joke. It wasn't something to fuck around with. It was it was a nice shot. Now that's again me speaking from a cis point of view. So if there is a um, uh, a trans person who watched the scene and did not like it, please feel free to tweet me or to contact me and let me know, and then let me know why. Um, I am only speaking from my experience, and I don't, and I could be ignorant, I'm sure, about things that I don't know. Now, we move on to the, the, the dance scene. Helena is teaching a class. She gets a call that this young man has passed. She's like, you know, when did he pass? And the nurse or whoever on the line was like, this morning, me, I'm getting pissed off in this scene because I'm like, why in the fuck, bitch, if he died this morning, why in the fuck am I just now getting a phone call? Then she said, <laughs> this is not funny, but Helena's like, yeah, no, I'm not the, I'm not his family. I'm just, I'm his teacher. And that's made it even heavier for me because, yeah, it's sad if you lose a child, but the that, oh, okay, how do I say this? There's so much assumed knowledge that comes with this show and I don't know if it's because I'm in this community and some things I just know from growing up from from being around from existing but it was understood in that phone call for me that Helena is his teacher he either has no he has to have no family or the family has abandoned him Um, he's gay in the 80s He's in New York. I don't know if he came from a different area, but the fact that they're calling Helena shows me that there's no other family on this list. You know, there's like, so it, when she got that phone call, it made it heavier for me because now this is the family that she chose. You know, like this is a student that she, you know, she was like, you're my very special dancer or my most favorite dancer or something. And it was so sad Ah, but to know that, again, you're not biological family, so, and then thinking a bit further, legally, what is it that she's able to to do? You know, what is it that she's she's able to do as far as arrangements for a funeral? Like, anything, she clearly has love for this boy, and I can imagine that she was probably one of the only, if not the only person, going to visit him. It's just... This was a heavy episode, and I'm not, you know, ashamed to say that I shed a tear. Now, it wasn't, you know, boo-hooing, but it was a very, the writers, the creative team did a really good job at making me feel a lot of fucking emotion in this episode. Uh, so, we have Damon instructing the rest of the kids, Ricky, uh, Lil Poppy, and Angel, about what they're going to do for the snowball and Lil Poppy, I like we get more of him. He's like this big comic relief, but I, I like that. And I want I want to get like a, a deep episode with him where it's just like, you know, um, not out the blue, but kind of they go left field and give him some emotional like heaviness. Because when he was first introduced, he said after um, House of Evangelista lost whatever they walked, I think episode two or one, 
one, one, I think it was one. And he was like, you know, y'all ain't shit, uh, but I ain't shit either, you know, so let me join your house. But that was it. Like, I, we didn't get much more than that. And I'm, I'm hoping that he's not this flat character that just all we know is that he sells drugs and that he's comic relief. Like, I want more than that from him. We don't know what he would be walking. We don't know what, um, I don't, I, we just don't know a lot about him. And I want to know more about Lil Poppy. Now, Damon realizes he's late. He runs to class. Helena sees him walk in and she stops class and just tears this motherfucker apart. And he's like, well, why would you, um, he's, you know, sorry I'm late, blah, whatever I came from, wherever. I'm not from New York. I've been a few times. I don't know the landscape. So I'm going to kind of deliver this scene as best as I can. <laughs> Wherever the fuck Damon said he was from, Helena was like, I don't know. What's that? Curtis. Curtis, where did you come from? And then some other guy was like, I don't know. Let's just say Uptown. Correct me, New Yorkers, <laughs> if I'm saying any of this correctly, incorrectly. But she, everyone laughed. And she was like, you know, he made it here on time, which is the truth. Though you're working on this ball, that's all fine and good. And I want to be there for Damon as far as being on his team. But, nigga, if this is something you want, make yourself available. You can't get wrapped up in practicing for a ball that you fuck around and fuck off at school. Like, bro, what are you doing? Um, and he was like, he said to her something like, why you got to, you know, uh, talk about me in front of these kids? And she was like, well, shit, I have two ways to motivate you. I'm going to encourage you or I'm going to shame you. Now, when I took you to the ballet, I encouraged you. And that didn't work. So now I'm going to shame you. It's like, God damn, Helena. <laughs> but you could see that she was still emotional from her visit with uh, Homeboy. And it's shown because, again, there's a lot of assumed understanding of in history with this show. But the way I saw it was she was upset from, you know, the the student she lost and she projected those feelings onto Damon rightfully so in the sense that you did show up late to this class after your mama came in here and monologued me down to get you a spot in this motherfucker to begin with so you just fucking it off but it it was a a, a clear amount of uh, projection from the feelings she had from the student who passed uh the thing that's really important about this scene is that he said he being Damon said I'm sorry I was practicing for a ball and such such in my head, I'm thinking, nigga, it don't matter what the fuck you're doing. If you don't come in here limping and bleeding, I don't give a damn. But she was like, oh, is that your, what she said, is that your lot in life? No. She's like, is that where your aspiration ends or something like that? And I was offended. I, it was so many fucking emotions flying back and forth in this scene with all these beautiful ass uh, dan brown dancers. I was like, oh, shit. No, she said, if you think you're going to be the next Alvin Ailey, I <laughs> Helena cut into his ass, Damon. I'm sorry, man. She 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 fucked you up. Um. So yeah, moving on. The the show itself did such a damn good job at getting a lot of these experiences across. We even get um, Electra at what I thought. Damn this show! I thought she was getting tested for HIV as well. And then I was like, oh, no, that'd be too on the nose. But then they call her to the back room and she um, she goes to sit into the little room. Shit, and then she looks over and sees like STD pamphlets. So I'm like, OK, damn, do not let this woman also have HIV. I feel like that would be so um, kind of on the nose, uh, kind of fucked up. But what happened was she was in there 
there was also a pamphlet for sexual reassignment surgery. And then she opened it up. And that's another thing about this show. She, uh, You see trans people on TV You um, in, in many forms fully actualized and some that are comic reliefs or whatever. But the thing that you don't get that I don't see is a look into what it is to be trans. Like when she opened that pamphlet and you could see through the diagrams how the sexual reassignment surgery um, kind of happens or what it entails. I can't really recall ever seeing a TV show or a movie, especially within the 90s and early 2000s, where you saw something explicit like that. It was quick. I think it was long enough. They lingered long enough on the pamphlet for you to see, get the gist of it. And if you pause it, you could read through everything. But I haven't seen it dealt with in this way. Um, there is a nurse that comes in and she talks to Electra. She's like, you know, this is what it is before this doctor passed. You know, he called you a few times to try to get your surgery and you avoided him. And if I'm reading that scene correctly, and I may not be because I was a bit confused, I took that to mean Electra was maybe nervous about the reassignment surgery. That's why she never picked up the phone call or maybe she was, you know, thinking I, maybe I don't want this. But then later on in the show, we get her and her two children uh, robbing from, uh, what is it? What's the niggas that ring the bell? The Santa uh, Salvation Army. Robbing them for their red bucket and cash so that she can pay or put down a down payment for the sexual reassignment surgery. So I was just like, what? It was, I was kind of messed up. So if anybody listening like understands that scene or that series of scenes and you kind of um and you can explain something or break it down or maybe i got it right <laughs> i don't know let me know um stan and his wife have just like falling out whatever and james vanderbeek comes over and delivers gifts and is like real creepy but in a very specific way and it's just it's odd i could care less about them but it did fit well within the story uh the important part to take from that is that stan let angel down as I knew he would. Fuck him. Um, yes, he's married. And yes, he's with uh, Peggy, Patty, whatever her name is. But you also made a promise to Angel. And this is not just some girl on the side that I'm just going to make a promise to. You got her a whole apartment. You ordered her a VCR TV combination that'll be there next week. Like, you've done things that have put you past the realm of, oh, that's my side chick. Again, not condoning, you know, whatever. Your beliefs are your beliefs. But the fact is... You made a promise to this woman, and you did not keep that promise. And the thing what really pisses me off, I understand that this is the 80s, and so technology works very differently, but you couldn't call Angel and let her know, hey, there's things going on here at home. I won't be able to make it. Like it, She made cookies, which was the only thing in her refrigerator was some cookies, which when I saw that, I was like, okay, didn't Angel say just last episode... I'm not a kept woman. If I were a kept woman, I would have an apartment uptown with a grocery, with a refrigerator full of groceries and such and such. Nigga, yeah, the TV VCR combination might be showing up next week, but where the fuck my groceries at? Angel got to eat. So, <laughs> and I don't know if she's getting like an allowance, if he's getting her money, or I don't know what's what, but the thing is, now you're in a polyamorous relationship. This is no longer just the, oh, I'm attracted to you and that's enough. You got me a whole goddamn apartment and you promised me you come by. Where the fuck you at? Where the hell is my car? Be considerate. Um, 
Yeah, so Angel goes over to Blanca's. Blanca's still wearing this fucking Mrs. Claus shimmery ass jacket. This she didn't wear that jacket for ninety three percent of this damn episode. <laughs> Ain't took it off for nothing. Um, she uh, she punished Damon because after he left out the class, uh, homegirl called homegirl Helena called her. They had to sit down. And another part that I liked is that Helena and Blanca are talking, and Helena's like. You know, as the parent, you have to make this child do what needs to be done because if you don't, he's going to go for what's, you know, the instant gratification, which is the balls and such and such. And she was like, oh, hold the fuck up. What we can do, and this is Blanca, we can talk about Damon till the cows come home, but what we ain't going to do is disrespect the ball and the ballroom culture because this is my life. This is what I do. And it was just such a real goddamn fucking series of scene oh my god just like kudos because what i got from that is helena well once she knows about ballroom culture that's not she's not a secret to her which i'll assume that either I know, i'm sure some of her other students in the past and even probably currently are in the ballroom scene but something about us having met that guy from the beginning makes me feel as if everything about this episode with helena falls back on that student who passed away and maybe he was in the balls too. So I like that Blanca is sticking like oh my it's just such she's like, look, motherfucker, talk about the student. Don't talk about my life and what I'm doing. Oh, that was so fucking dope. And initially I didn't know if Helena knew that either Blanca wasn't Damon's biological mother or that Blanca, or even that Blanca was trans. But I think in this episode, because of that conversation, I think Helena knows both. I think she knows, well, of course she knows that Damon isn't her biological child, but I think she understands or knows that Blanca is trans, I think. Um, Which really is neither here nor there, but just the way that they were talking, that was one of the first things that came to mind. Like, does she know, and does that matter? Um, No, so we have the, the... Christmas dinner where <laughs> Blanca burnt the turkey. Well, the turkey was on fire. They didn't throw it out the window. So everyone ends up at this Chinese food place for the Christmas dinner. And it's such a classic sitcom 90s kind of Christmas episode ending. But it was so heavy. Oh, my God. Um, so they exchanged gifts before they started eating. Little Poppy got a leather jacket. Um, Damon got a new book bag with these, whatever those dancer socks are that go up to like your knee and they look like tube socks, but giant tube socks. Um, Ricky even got a watch, which he, he got to cry. It was, oh my God. Uh, Pray Tale got, oh, a color camera. And what Blanca was saying, you know, before you came into my life, it was black and white and you taught me how to see the gray. And I hope that, you know, you do that for someone else. And you could tell that she was speaking to, uh, capturing moments with his his boo, his Latino boyfriend or whatnot, and it was just so it, it that was a good way to use the technology of the time and this being a period piece and kind of working it into the story because there were no iPhones back then, there were no you know flip phones back then, there were those big chunky ass uh, cell phones that were like look like long ass bricks with antennas, um, but I like that she said you know you've 
I was my world was black and white before I met you, and now I can see the gray. And I hope you can be, do that for someone else. And capturing those moments, and I think that camera was a color camera, but I could be mistaken. Um, and then we go to uh, Angel, which I knew what she was getting from the beginning. Blanca got her a pair of red pumps, which is like, oh my god, that was just seeing her. Open that first of all. Open the gift. Unwrap it with a fork. That this was a genuinely funny scene, funny part of the scene. But to see Angel open this box and it be a shoebox, and so you already know. If you didn't know before, now you have to know what it is. But even if you knew or didn't, watching her open that wrapper and see those red heels, oh, that that took me out, y'all. I was done. I was done. Then this show hits me over the head again. Yes, we see the pumps and everybody, you know, crying and whatever else. Then it's, Damon says, Mother, we pitched in to get you a gift. Gives her a box and it's this like pendant, this heart thing. And I don't know if it's, I think it's a bracelet because the chain looked really short. But the, the heart was clearly visible. And it, again, I'm not crying. You're crying. Like this was... Oh my god, this was a very, very good episode. I This show does not cease to amaze me. The creative team has done their fucking job. Everyone, everyone over there, wardrobe, uh, editors, uh, music, it, it just fucking good. Um, Okay, so wrapping up, because I'm not crying, you're crying. No, um, uh, my favorite of this episode, I don't even know. I'll just say the entire House of Electra. Electra. Evangelista. <laughs> the House of Electra. The entire House of Evangelista. Because this, this was such an emotional story. So that's my favorite. Uh, my least favorite is, I don't know, everybody white in the episode? I don't know. Um. James Vanderbeek, his character, he was whatever, because I think they're trying to give that Trump vibe with him. Um, so I'll say he's my least favorite. And my favorite scene, there were so many, God. Uh, but I'll say the ending scene, the Christmas dinner, that whole gift exchange, kind of the 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 bow. It seemed like a very special Christmas episode. Like we could move past this episode. And go right into damn Valentine's Day. And that would be fine. Because I'm satisfied from what we got from this episode. So, oh God. So y'all look. <laughs> I'm, I'm all tired out. Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, things that I didn't touch on that you would like me to. Um, if you're listening to the show, <coughs> excuse me, or anything. Hit me up. Use the hashtag PoserPod. When you're watching uh, Pose on FX on Sundays. Tweet, live tweet. Use that hashtag, PoserPod. When you're listening to this episode, do the same. I would love to have a conversation with you guys. If there's something that I messed up, you know, or something that I got wrong, be it with the show or with, you know, ballroom history or anything, let me know. Let's let's have this conversation going. And um, I don't know. Meet me back here. Same nerd time, same nerd station. Dipping and twisting and, and mopping for my next outfit. <laughs> All right, y'all.